I'd invite you to just open up your Bibles to Psalm 39. That's where we're going to be this morning. How many of you in this room love to play games? Let me see your hands. We have a lot of game lovers in our household. We like to play a lot of games. and We've just been on vacation, had a lot of time out of school, out of work, all kinds of stuff. So we had, we had a lot more time to play games than we had in the past, and uh, just, just a lot of fun. You know, whether it's a board game or a card game or dice or video game or sports, every single game has one thing in common that I think we all love about games, and this is probably part of why we play games. And here it is. We get to begin again. If you're playing a game and you don't like how it's going, you get to do it again. Uh, we play a lot of five crowns in our household. Anyone ever play that game before, right? So you're playing five crowns and you don't like the hand that you've been dealt. You know what you do? You're already plotting the next game. You're already saying, we're going to play this again. And on that one, I'm going to do better. Uh, we have a lot of video games that go on in our household. We have some teams and you're playing Battlefront. You don't like how it's going. You know what you do? You go out to the menu, you hit restart, right? And you just start the game over. We love that about games because you can just... You can just kind of start the whole thing over. Grace says the same thing. Grace says, begin again. Grace allows us to start over. Jesus came on the scene, and one of the things that he said was this. He said, the only way to get to heaven, there's one way, he says this. You must be born again. And once you're born again, you are now covered in grace. And you know what that means? That means that you get to begin again. One of the things we talk about often as Christians is this. We don't need to wait until New Year's Day to start over, to have things fresh. How often are God's mercies new? What does the Bible say? Every morning, right? Every morning we wake up and breathe air into our lungs. We say, God, we just, we just breathe out this prayer. Thank you for your mercies. They're new today. God, you're constantly making all things new in our life. Let me do a little test for you. It's an easy test in the sense that it's your life, so it'll be easy for you. But I'd encourage you to jot these down on your paper. No one else is going to look at it. But here's the test. You don't even need a number two pencil. You can use one of the NBC pens if you'd like. I want you to write down, in thinking back on the last year, 2015, what were the three most troubling things about the year for you? What were the three most troubling things? Maybe you had three very specific days that you could pinpoint and say, that was a rough day. Maybe it was news that you got. Maybe it's personal pain that you went through. Maybe it's something on the news. Maybe it's a worry that you carry. What were the three most troubling things about 2015 for you? Here's the question as you look over your list. How many of those three things were you prepared for? How many of those three things did you predict were coming? How many of those three things were you really in control of? And here's the final one. How many of those three things are currently resolved? I would say odds are that many in this room have worries, personal pain, news that has come across them that is yet to be resolved, that they are not in control of, that they still are seeking wisdom for in moving ahead. Here's what life is. Life is an ongoing illustration of our limitations. Every day that you live life, it's an ongoing illustration of our limitations. Here's the bottom line. We need help. 
But life is also an ongoing illustration of our resolve to continue. Don't you marvel at people, how they keep getting up and they press on? Looking ahead to 2016, I'm not sure what word you would use to kind of describe how you're entering this year and thinking about this new calendar year. Maybe you're hope-filled. Maybe you're filled with despair. Maybe you're just kind of apathetic towards the whole thing. All right, here's a little activity that as long as medical conditions don't prevent you from doing this, I want you to take me up on it, okay? On the count of three, I want you to take in as much air as you can and hold your breath, okay? One, two, three. Hold your breath. Now, while doing that, you're going to be losing some oxygen right now. I'm going to give you another instruction. I want you to hold out your hand. I want you to mentally measure your hand. Just look at your hand and look at the width of your hand for a moment, okay? Now, before any of you pass out, I want you to let out your air when you begin to get too uncomfortable, okay? There we go. You can hold it as long as you want. Just kind of look at your hand. Look at the width of your hand. Hold that breath, and when you're ready, again, we don't need a medical emergency, although Jim is a a, a paramedic, so we do have staff on hand, should you push this too far. Please start letting your air out. I'm starting to get a little nervous. There we go. Feats of strength. We're going to start off our year right. Here's what that was. According to the Bible, what just happened is your life. Psalm chapter 39, look at verse 4. It says this, it says, O Lord, actually I'm going to read it from this different translation. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made me no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. So there you have it. You just illustrated your own life by holding your breath as long as you could and then letting it out. Each of you is but a breath. Some shorter, some longer. Some of you have wider hands. Some of you have more narrow hands. Here's one of the ways that life is unfair. Some of the people filled with the most hot air might live the longest, right? But they're still just a breath. That's our lifetime. A breath and the width of a hand. We're all here for only a season. Look at the scriptures and see what the psalmist is asking for in this. Two times he says this, remind me. Remind me, God, of a couple of things. Remind me how brief my time is here on earth. Remind me that my days are numbered. Now, you only need to be reminded of things that you're likely to forget, right? Some of you have that person in your household who's constantly losing their keys, right? Don't point. But we know that families just have those people, right? We need keys. They're important to us. And so we, we try to you know do reminders. We have little tools. I use this tool all the time. Siri, remind me tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. to hold my breath and look at my hand, right? That could be a little daily thing that we do, just, just to kind of start off our day saying our, our, our days are numbered here. God, start us off with that, remembering that truth. The next part of the psalm is really interesting. In some of your translations, it might say Selah. In another translation, it might say this word interlude. But an interlude, if you think about a play being done or a song being done, it's a pause. It's a stop. It's a rest. Here the psalmist is saying, my life is but a breath 
Remind me of that. Remind me how short my time is here on earth. And then he writes into the music, stop, take a breather, think on that for a moment. You know, God has built into the created order and to our weekly worship this little pause, this little rest. Each day the sun sets, right? And each day you at some point run out of steam and you have to stop and take a rest. Do you know that prescribed in worship is the idea that we're to mimic God and pause from our work once a week and just stop and rest? That's what we're doing here this morning. We're setting down our work and we're just saying, God, we're just resting. Here's the question. What are you going to do with that time? My challenge to you would be this. Reflect on truths that are important. Reflect on your hand. Reflect on your breath. Thinking about your lifetime. Pause for a moment. Allow yourself to be reminded of realities before they slip into memory. I have this jotted down on your notes for you, but Psalm 90.12 takes this the, some of the same themes, but it, it not nudges us forward in some ways. Here's what it says. It says, So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. At the start of new, this new year, one of my prayers for you, one of my prayers for my life is that us as a church collectively would be taught some urgency. That, that we would pray, God, keep us awake to some realities that we're awful susceptible to falling asleep to. Keep us awake to those realities. I'm not going to ask how many of you set goals for this new year, but there's a lot of mixed reviews on New Year's resolutions and goals and all that kind of stuff. Here's my thought on it. In terms of goal setting, um, I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. I think the scriptures back that up. Think for a moment about going on vacation. If you've ever planned a vacation, you know that here's my vacation, by the way. It would involve warm water because I like going to the beach a lot and I hate putting on wetsuits. So I would, I would be at a place with warm water. If you ever want to go on a vacation, it takes some planning. You don't just wake up one day and show up magically at a place with warm water. Amen? If you figured that one out, can you let me know? Because I'd like to, to join you on that. It requires forethought. It requires planning. It requires saving. It requires actually executing and making this thing happen, right? If you don't set that goal and you don't start to plan toward that goal, then you end up hanging out and doing what you normally do. And that's probably not being on vacation. So you'll hear stories of other people's journeys, but you won't have one of your own. I will come back to you, and I will tell you about the sea turtles that I was looking about. And you'll be amazed, and you'll think, wow, that would be so fun to do. But if you, if you didn't plan a vacation, you didn't go on one. You just get to hear about other people's. That's kind of true in life, too. It's, it's true of the journeys that we take in life. Here's the principle that you could jot down if you want. Failing to plan is planning to fail. So think about your spiritual life for a moment. Think about your goals. Examine your goals that you've made in the past. Examine some goals maybe that are sitting right in front of you. Here's three questions for you. Are your goals accomplished with or without God? Do your goals involve God as a necessity to accomplish the goal or not? Number two, are your goals explained naturally or supernaturally? In other words, if you got to the end of this goal... 
Could you look at that and people look at that and say, that was Dave executing his plan and he got there? Or would there be some supernatural component that was involved there? And here's the third question that I would overlay onto your goals. Does the end glorify you? Or does the end glorify Jesus working through you? Your goal that you have, does that ultimately serve you and your purposes and your name? Or does that goal serve the name of Jesus Christ? Don't you think Christians ought to have goals that look like God's at the very center of our lives? I think so. With 2016 now here, and this desire that we have as Christians to do what Psalm 90 says and to present a heart of wisdom to God with this this gift of time that we've been given, let me nudge you toward a couple of thoughts. Here are some thoughts and verses kind of to some different categories of people in our midst. Ready? Here we go. Kids, it's the first Sunday of the month, so we get to have you in with us the entire service. Always a joy. Here's my challenge to you. Keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. That's one of the things that kids do amazingly well. They trust God. Let me tell you, kids, we need you in this. Childlike faith is what old, crusty people like me need to see. We need to see that you trust in a really big God. Because He's there and He's one who's going to come through, and we need to hear that from you. I heard this this morning while I was making my coffee. I heard a little man that lives with me say, Tegan... Can you help me? I need help. And I was making my coffee thinking, there it is. Kids have no problems asking for help. They know what I just said earlier. Life is an ongoing illustration of our limitations. We all need help. How simple it is for a five-year-old to just ask for help. Kids, when you display faith in God, you say things out of your mouth that are actually an example to the rest of the church. Look at 1 Timothy 4.12. It says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. What happens sometimes to older people is they live their life long enough and they keep getting burned that they kind of stop living. They just kind of shrivel up and stop living. And you kids being in our midst helps people hope again. We see the hope that you have. We see the trust that you have. And it actually kind of awakens things. So you guys are exactly what the Bible says you are, your gifts to us. So keep trusting in God. Students, we have uh, an amazing group of students here. If you're new with us, it won't take you long to discover um, that we just have some phenomenal students in our midst. And students, I want to tell you that you are in the very midst of developing habits that will shape the rest of your life. You are on the very verge of making a couple of massive decisions that will alter the course of every single day of your life, which sounds kind of scary, but it's also super exciting. Who are you going to marry if you're going to marry? What is your vocation going to be? What are you going to give your life to? These are some giant decisions that are that are right there in front of you. The truth is you're gifted. And you're being raised in a part of the country 
that has tons and tons of opportunity, whether that be school or information or whatever else, to actually change the world. So my challenge to you students is this. You with me? All right. (laughs) Here it is. Students, be God-centered and others-focused. Be God-centered and others-focused. There's no place in our world that you are not needed. Think about politics and medicine and social services and education and the arts. We need Christian young men and women to to invade those areas and bring the light of God to them. Some of you will give your life to something called Frontier Missions. Frontier Missions is going to places where they've never heard the gospel. It's what the great Apostle Paul in the New Testament was a specialist at. He was the guy that parachuted in where no one had heard the name of Jesus, and he started the gospel work there. And some of you in this room may be raised up to do that. Do you know that right now there are 6,641, give or take a few maybe, unreached people groups in the world today? That's a lot. That's a lot of unreached people groups. People have never heard the gospel. So what would it look like to learn a language, pack a suitcase, and go? To go to these people. Here's my verse for you, Romans chapter 10, verse 14. It says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, if you've been raised around here, you know that you don't really need to go to the far ends of the earth to talk to people who don't know much about Jesus, right? So start here. Start right here and now. You know, others of you in this room will be the ones who will raise the funds to send people off to go reach an unreached people group. Others of you will open your home. You'll have a house and you'll dedicate a room that says, this is for the Lord's work. If if missionaries roll through, if people roll through, this room is dedicated to serve other people. That's what I, that's what I mean by being others-focused. Some of you are so phenomenal at being caring people that you will send the love and the encouragement overseas through all mediums that we have available to us to keep those people fired up doing the Lord's work when they're far away from what's comfortable and known to them. It takes an entire team to have these things happen. When it comes to wondering who you should marry, here's my advice to you. Run as hard and fast as you can after God and keep doing that. And then look around and see the company that you're keeping. Look around to your left and your right. See who's keeping up with you as you run hard after God. And pick a mate from that person. From from that group of people. And then give yourself to them in marriage and them to you. Whatever God gives you to do, go after it like it is changing the world because it is. Get after it like your life is only as wide as your hand. Because it is. We have singles in the room. Some of you are singles that won't be singles after this year. We have several marriages coming up this year. Here's my admonition to you is to be God's man and woman now. A lot of people think they're going to somehow magically change once they get married. Married people, is that true? No! So start working on it right now. Don't waste the ministry opportunity that you have. Learn from Paul. Paul was a single guy 
And he saw his life through the lens of the gospel. Look at Philippians chapter 1. He says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He wrote that, by the way, from prison. So practice now who you need to be for a spouse someday. It could be that God is your spouse for the rest of your life. Praise God for that. Don't live your life in kind of an if-only sort of a way. It's literally wasting your breath, which is wasting your life to sit there and pine for what isn't. Philippians 4.11, Paul says this, For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Many of you in this room are parents. Parents, let me ask if this sounds familiar. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you heard of that before? Yeah. How about this one? Go and make disciples. Have you heard of that one? Right. These are two like really, really foundational things that Jesus taught us to do. If you are a parent, particularly if you have kids living in your house still, who's your closest neighbor but your kids? Love your neighbor as yourself starts in your home. Who else should you be working to make a disciple of Jesus Christ but your own children? You have the by far the most massive influence on your kids. Catch this, for good or for bad. So make disciples of your own family. Love your neighbor starting in your own home. One of the things I love about this church is there's people from kind of all ages and all stages. It's it's really fun for parents of toddlers to rub shoulders with parents of teens because they're going to realize that someday their little toddler is going to actually sleep too much. And they're going to say, hurry up and get up. Whereas when you're in that toddler phase, you're like, would you please just sleep through the entire night? And the parents of teens are saying what? Every 48 hours at least, I need you to get out of bed and stop sleeping. So it's good to rub shoulders with that. It's actually really fun for parents of teens who are leaning on God in ways that they never imagined they would be. And they're watching people who, who've had their very first child or they're in kind of that toddler phase. And the latest crisis in toddler mode is a spill or personal hygiene or manners or sharing a toy with their sister, right? And the parent of the teen smiles a little bit and just kind of, kind of takes a deep breath and says, man, I remember when, those are very real crises when kids are young, but I remember when that was the biggest, most complex, challenging thing about my kid. And I kind of long for those days right now, but it's kind of refreshing to see that and walk with that through them. Grandparents, you have a gift in here um, that, that, that those of us who have kids in our home don't currently possess, and that's why we look a little stressed. It's called perspective. And you guys have that gift, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to share it with us. I want you to come and put your arm around people with children in their home as they're trying to make disciples, as they're trying to love their neighbor really well, starting in their own home. And I want you to say, you're going to make it. Okay? We need you to say that to us. It's so awesome to have grandparents in our midst on a regular basis that can offer that gift to us. You know, God has a purpose and a vision for your family. Discover what that is, and then go after it. Pursue it. 
Much of what we are told in our culture from just a lot of the inputs we get is a lie. If you want to find your life, what did Jesus say? He said, give it away. Be generous. If you want contentment, don't try and grab and hoard and get as much for you and yours as you can. That ends up being a prison. Be generous. Be be God-centered and others-focused even as a family. Here's the verse I have for us as families. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't camp out there for a weekend or for an hour on the weekend. Dwell there. Live there. Let your family live with these things in front of them. All right, let me talk lastly to our retired folks in the room. God can commission you to start something new. God can commission you to begin again. That's what grace is all about. Think about Moses and Noah. Moses and Noah weren't out playing golf in their retirement community, right? What were they doing? They were listening to God. They were continuing to be used by God. How about Paul and Peter and John and James? You know that they had long, faithful, fruitful ministry? I don't really see the idea of American retirement in the Bible. I don't see that we live our lives to a point where we can get ourselves financially secure so we don't have to work, we don't have to do a bunch of stuff. And we can just play some golf or do whatever we want to do. Instead, I see people living their life faithfully to the end. We have some remarkable examples. If you don't know any, come and talk to me. I will introduce you to some remarkable examples of retired people who don't really know what the word retirement is all about. They've set up their life. They are living their life right now to be as on fire for the Lord and as busy as anyone that I know. And I love that. I love that God has brought people like that to us. Here's my verse for retired people. 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Retired people, I'm not trying to get rid of you. That's not what this verse is about. You're like, I'm not dead yet, Dave. I know, but when you are, I'll be here to do your funeral. We love you. The point is this. Wouldn't it be amazing... Wouldn't it be incredible if you were laying on your deathbed and I came and visited you and we had a conversation and this is what was on your tongue? Wouldn't it be so great to look back on your deathbed and say, this is it, I've finished. Here's the interesting reality. I don't know who's going to get a phone call this coming year. I don't know who I'm going to get a phone call from this coming year. Saying, David, looks pretty bad. I'm in the hospital. Can you come? Can Ben come? Can one of the elders come? Pray with me. Be with me. That might be me. You might be visiting me and doing my funeral this year. We don't know what's coming this year. But isn't that a worthwhile goal to put that in front of us and say, man, I want to finish strong. I want to finish the race, Lord. Let me shift gears for a moment and just point to where we're going in this new year. Next Sunday, we start a brand new series And it's really just on the church. And as we look at the church, we're gonna, we're gonna study a few different things. I think pastors 
love to read about, talk about, blog about, and strategize about is how do you build a great church? How do you build a great church? We're going to look to the scriptures because the church is God's idea. So we're going to look at how you build a great church. What does a healthy church look like? What does it look like to be moving toward health as a collective Christian community? We're going to look at that. How about this? What makes a church attractive? What is it that we should be doing to better ourselves, to better the body, to kind of work out? What makes a church attractive? How about this? What is my role in this? What is my role in being a part of a healthy church? Who's responsible for what? What is God's part in this? And what is God clearly given for us to do? And finally, I think this might be the most exciting part of this series, but this. What difference does it make? It kind of opens the world to questions like this. What would it look like for a phenomenally attractive, healthy church that God is building and growing that we're involved in? What would that look like? What difference does that make in our community? How could people in our very community, our, our neighborhood, how could they have, they have their lives changed if this is going on? I put down on your notes Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. I want you to look at it with me for a moment. I want you to think of this passage not as an individual. So often we read the Bible as individuals because we're Americans. That's how we think. I want you to think about this collectively as a collective Christian body. Some of you are visiting from out of town and you go to churches in other parts of the country and that's a regular part. You can think of your own church family, but, but we're one in Christ. So let's think of this collectively as we read this passage. Ephesians 5.15 says this, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, that's where we're going starting next week. We'll be diving into a whole new series on the church. I want to close with a couple of, I hope, helpful things for you. In learning to number our days, in learning to think about this passage we just read, what does it mean to walk as a wise person, not as an unwise person? What does it look like to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil? I think that really has a lot to do with prioritizing and reprioritizing and what better time than the new year to kind of think of some of those things. You know, one of the things that is my job here at this church, and I'm not the sole person of this, but it's one of my primary roles and that is to feed the sheep the Word of God. I am to be working hard, diligently, and in the Spirit, not in the flesh, praying, studying, preparing, preaching, writing, visiting, and discussing the Word of God so that the sheep can be fed. That's part of my role. That's one of the roles of a shepherd, is to make sure that the sheep are fed. I'll tell you what happens sometimes. Sometimes... Pastors preach the word of God and they don't get the response that they like. Jesus said that the word of God divides. And so preaching God's accurate truth actually causes division in the church sometimes, believe it or not. So sometimes preachers wary of just preaching the word because they don't get feedback that they want. And sometimes they look around and they see that people aren't really doing the work of ministry. And so pastors start doing it all. Have you seen churches where the pastor's doing it all? The ministry is about this big because one guy's trying to do it all. And the pastors last about this long at that church. 
because they get burned out doing it all. I love this church because God has raised up many, many, many servants doing all kinds of different ministry. What I want to do is I want to keep doing my job and keep the home fires burning with the Word of God so that you are stoked and fired up and properly motivated and properly instructed to keep doing what you've already been doing, church, for a long time, and that is doing the work of the ministry. We're going to look for that and celebrate that God's doing that in our midst this coming year. Now, one of the ways to be fed is to be here on Sunday, right? That's a no-brainer. Come and show up and get fed. Midweek community group, that's a time to mull on it, chew on it, digest it with people, press on it a little bit, work it into your life. But all through the rest of the week, it's not my job to come to your house personally and make sure you're having a personal quiet time with the Lord. It's not my job to be there to hold your hand and make sure that you're reading. That's on you to be doing that. I want to give you a few kind of steps or a few kind of tools to help you with that. Some of you have have instilled this in your life and you feast on God's word midweek and it's sheer delight to you. I hope what I offer to you today is just kind of maybe spurring that on. Others of you, a few days ago, finished your very first Bible reading program for the year and you checked it off on December 31st and you said, wow, I took... Dave's challenge up last year, I finished my very first reading program. Some of you this coming year are going to take up that challenge and you're going to complete your very first Bible reading program for the year. Here's what I want you to do really quick. I want want you to take a deep breath. I'm not going to have you hold your breath again. Don't worry. Just take a deep breath and let it out. All right. There's a certain anxiety that kind of kicks in with some people when we start talking about Bible reading programs, personal devotions, personal quiet times, prayer times because there's sort of this guilt-laden thing that gets overlaid on that. I know I should be, but I'm not. I know I'm supposed to, and it's good for me, but I only know I'm going to fail again. Here's my admonition, church. Begin again. I don't care what happened last January. I don't care if you started in December uh, picking up the Bible for the very first time. I want you just to begin again. If something I say right now in these next few moments just helps you take that very next step, praise God for that. We'll, t- we'll count that as a win. All right, Bible reading plans. I'm really into Bible reading plans because failing to plan is planning to fail. I get that some people can just have their Bible and just randomly throughout the year take a book and go through it and dive into it and go to another part. And I, I genuinely get that. That's not me. I need a plan to kind of keep me on track and help me. So let me just show you a couple of my favorites. There's all kinds of bookmarks that I have saved. If you ever want those, I'll just dish them all to you, and you can do the research yourself. Um, But here's one of my favorite ones. I just completed this Bible reading program this last year. I would challenge you to do the same. There's a a website called YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version.com. There's a phone app iPad app, the whole nine yards, you sign in, it's all tied in together. But what this Bible reading program does is this, it has you read five days a week, and each day you'll read one chapter from the New Testament. One chapter from the New Testament. Is that doable? Say yes. 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 And then in the course of that week, it will grab one chapter from the Old Testament that will kind of be in context of what you're talking about in the New Testament. So you'll, you'll get a little bit of Old Testament But in the course of one year, you will read through the entire New Testament 
with sort of some Old Testament context thrown in. There's going to be some off days where you get to reflect, pause, interlude, think about what you're reading. So that's one of my favorites, um, and that's called uh, Own It 365 NT Plus. It puts a really complicated title on a super simple Bible reading program for some reason. Um, <clears throat> here's the other one that I really enjoy. This is the one I'm going to start this year. Every other year, I commit to read through the Bible in a year. And I'm starting the blended plan. Actually, I started it on January 1st. And it's blended because it takes a little bit of the Old Testament and a little bit of the New Testament, and it just sets you on your way. I started Genesis 1 and Romans 1 starting on January 1st. And you just have a little bit of reading from the New Testament and Old Testament each day, and you just kind of you just kind of plow through for the year, and it's another just great Bible reading program. Some of you uh, might freak out at that, or you, you're far too much of a free spirit to ever have some Bible reading program tell you what to do. So I've got a plan for you. This is called a Bible reading chart. It has every single chapter of the Bible. You could print this up in a massive wall poster and laminate it if you wanted to, if that floats your boat. You can get out the old dry erase markers or permanent markers, and guess what? When you read a chapter, just put a little line through it and then move on to the next one. If you're a completely random person and you find joy in going all over the place, go all over the place. If it takes you one year, five minutes, or ten years, read through the Bible. But here it is. This is something you can print uh, online very easily if you're super crafty, uh, cra- craft-ish, craft-ish, crafty, crafty. Um, then you could then you could do it a different way. Here's something that my elders and I love to hear. That's said a little bit tongue in cheek. Leaders are readers. Let me just introduce you to something that I came across a couple months ago. It's by a guy named Tim Challies. He's a pastor up in Canada, and he just kind of issued this challenge, this 2016 readers challenge. So I put this out to our elders and says, "Hey guys." You know, for those of you who want to, let's do this. Kel loves reading books when I put tons of books in his, in his box. But what I liked about this was it just kind of spurs people on to maybe grow in some ways that they haven't grown in before. And I can give you the link to this. I can put it on the city. But let me just show you a quick example. This is the light reading program. And it's just, I think it's, uh, I think it's 13 books for the year. So roughly one every four weeks or so. And it's this, a book about Christian living, a biography, a classic novel, a book that someone says changed their lives, a commentary on the book of the Bible, a book about theology, a book with the word gospel in the title, a book your pastor recommends, a book more than 100 years old, a book for children, a mystery or detective novel, a book published in 2016, and a book about a current event or issue. What this might do is this. It might just expand. Maybe you love to read, but you're really locked into a certain genre. Maybe you love to read, but you only read those who agree 100% with you, and you never challenge yourself by reading things other than that. Maybe you're not theologically inclined at all, and actually sit down and read a commentary as we work through a book of the Bible this year would be really, really healthy for you. There's all kinds of options as you go back out to the other picture with all sorts of things. Here's the great thing about this reading challenge. The rules are this. There really are no rules. Have fun with this, okay? Pick it up and do this. He offers a few suggestions. Maybe you do this as a, as a couple or as a family or as a small group. So instead of reading all 13 yourself or all 26 books yourself or however, whichever plan you do, you actually divide that up and then you just kind of give little reports back and forth to one another. It would just spur some things that may not be there otherwise. I'll close with four more things. One is spiritual disciplines, which um, what, if, what if prayer became a priority in your life in 2016, unlike it ever has before? 
Spiritual disciplines are putting ourselves just in the path of God's blessing to learn and grow from him. Number two is this. I want to challenge you to increase your giving. I'm talking to Christians right now. Think about a wartime mentality and saying, what could we do without so that if God raises up four frontier missionaries from our church in the next five years, I could be a major supporter of getting them out on the mission field. What would it look like right now to take my giving and move it from 10% to 12%? What could I cut out for the sake of worship to give to that? Adoption's a massive word around this church. Here's my challenge to you. Adopt a young person. Adopt an old person. There are two shut-in old folks' homes within a mile of this church. Adopt a young person. Adopt an old person. Or adopt an alien. An alien is a biblical word for a foreigner, someone who doesn't live in this country that would love to have you adopt them into your family. Do you know that those three people groups are on the very heart of God right there? So adopt an old, young, or an alien. Finally, reflect and remember. Give priority to what we're doing right now. Pausing and saying, I'm going to submit myself to look, listen for the deeper truths this coming year. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the turn of a calendar. I thank you, God, for what happens when we place ourselves willingly um, in a mode of, of, of actively listening to you. God, I pray for each of the people groups that were called out this morning that, God, you would speak to them. I thank you that you are. Your word's available to us all the time to be, to be speaking into our life, to be altering the course and direction of our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.